Amen. You guys can be seated this morning. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 9, we'll be finishing up um, this great chapter of God's Word this morning. So last week we, we went through the whole entire chapter of John chapter 9, all 41 verses. We read through the whole thing and we saw this great kind of story and we saw the hopefully the benefit of looking at an entire chapter, which is rare for us to do, um, but we saw the benefit of doing that is you see this account of the man that was born blind. We see Jesus not only miraculously heal this man by spitting on the ground, very strangely enough, making mud, wiping it on the man's eyes. He tells him to go wash in a pool, and he is healed miraculously of his blindness that he had since the day he was born. And we saw that the story is really this following of this man and his interactions with his neighbors, with the Pharisees, with the man's parents. And there's this back and forth between these different groups of people, these unbelievers that are bringing up questions to this man, trying to get him to denounce Christ or say that this miracle didn't in fact happen. And we saw through this whole event that this man's faith perseveres through the end until the very one of the last verses in this chapter where this man confesses faith in Christ. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worships our Lord Jesus Christ, which is something only proper to God. And so we, we talked about how there's really two miracles in this chapter, not just one. The first miracle is the healing of this man's physical eyes, but the second miracle is the divine power that went out from the Son of God to give him true spiritual sight. So he went from not only being born physically blind, but born spiritually blind to being able to see not just physically, but also by the end he is worshiping and has true spiritual sight. And I loved what one theologian said. He said, Jesus' ability to do the first miracle proves his power to accomplish the second His ability to divinely exert power and heal this man's eyes proves his ability to accomplish the second miracle, which is to bring spiritual sight to this man's eyes. And that even amidst the unbelieving of his family members and the legalism of the Pharisees, the light of the gospel of Christ shines in this man's heart, and that apart from Christ's saving work, this man would have remained blind in both senses, but we see that by the end he has true spiritual sight. But today we're going to look at the last couple verses, verses 39 through 41 in this chapter. And we're going to see both the statement of our Lord, the final statement of our Lord in this chapter, and also the response of the Pharisees as they respond to Jesus' statement. And this statement of our Lord, we're going to see not only the grace and mercy that Christ extends to unworthy sinners and comfort that this should bring us, but we're also going to see the conviction that Christ comes and brings on those that in their self-righteousness have no need of Him. So we're going to see the grace and mercy and comfort of our Lord's words, but also the conviction that they bring, that He comes not just to save, but to expose the true condition, the true blindness of the souls of these people. But as we look at this sobering passage today, the call for us this morning is to not only see the conviction and the coming judgment on all those that remain in their blindness, in their self-righteousness, those that remain in their sin, but it's also to see 
the grace of our Lord in coming and exposing their true condition. And the call this morning is to recognize our great need to come to Him, the only one that is able to open our eyes, to say to ourselves, we cannot do this on our own. We need Christ. So that's um, what we're going to look at this morning. If you want to follow along with me, I'll read our passage, I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at God's Word. I'm going to pick up at verse 35. This is after the man is cast out of the temple in the synagogue, excommunicated. Jesus heard that he had been cast out. This is the word of the Lord. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus turned and said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have had no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we come before you as we come to these very sobering words in your word. And we come um, helpless, Lord. We come on our knees, prostrate before you, our souls broken over our sin. And we come in need of the great physician, the one that can truly open the eyes of our hearts, the ones that can um, truly help us to see our great need this morning. And so we pray that you would use your word to convict us where we need conviction to shine the light of the gospel on the dark recesses of our soul. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring the balm of the gospel, the comfort that can only be found in Christ. And we pray that you would do this by the power of your spirit this morning. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So we come to the end of this chapter and we come to our words, the words of our Lord, where he is very forward and upfront with these Pharisees that our Lord is not, um, he's not unaware of what's been going on throughout this chapter. The persecution that this man has suffered, the hardness and legalism of the Pharisees, that's why he made the mud. He's confronting the legalism of the Pharisees that said you couldn't make mud on the, on the Sabbath day. You couldn't do these man-made laws that they had invented. And so our word, the words of our Lord are very confronting to the Pharisees of that day. And what stands out in this passage is the kind of shift that happens in the middle of the statement of our Lord. He begins with this positive, comforting statement to those that are blind. He says that he will make them to see. He came for this purpose. But then the tone shifts after, and we see the the conviction that he came to bring. And so we're going to kind of look at these two statements, and then we'll look at the response afterwards. So first we see this great miracle that our, that our Lord had wrought in this man in bringing him physical sight was meant to be a picture of the spiritual sight that he came to bring to sinners. And we see that in the words of our Lord. He said, for the judgment I came into this world that those who do not see spiritually may see. He's talking about spiritual realities. He's talking about this idea that those that do not see 
They do not have spiritual sight. They're not aware of the things of the Spirit. Of That's what Paul will say in 1 Corinthians. He came that those people might truly see having the eyes of their heart opened, having the light of the gospel shine in. And this is what we call the effectual calling. The effectual calling. We read about this morning in our confession of faith that this man went from a state of total sin and darkness to confessing Christ and worshiping the Savior. And that's what we saw in the progression of these 41 verses. And we know from the rest of Scripture that this is a work of the Spirit. What is what, is, um, what do we read in John chapter 3? That this is the Spirit that blows. We cannot know where it will blow, but we know that it is the Spirit that gives life, regenerating God's people, taking away their heart of stone, giving them a heart of flesh, causing the light of the gospel to penetrate into the darkness of our souls, the darkness that is pictured in this man's blindness. I mean, you close your eyes for 10 seconds, Imagine that for eternity. I mean, for, for your whole life, this is the blindness of our souls, and this is the light that Christ came to bring, to bring life and to bring lightness, drawing us to Christ. Christ seeking this man out. We saw at the end of our passage last week, he seeks this man out, he finds him, and he brings him into the fold of God, renewing his will so that he comes most freely, most willingly. He's not forcing him to worship him. He's not coercing him. He has renewed, resurrected his will, and he's made most willing by his grace. This is what the triune God has done in sending the Son, so that those who do not see, all those that are dead in their trespasses and sins, might be able to see, might have true spiritual life. And so what's true of this man is what's true of every person that's trusted in Christ. They've had the eyes of their hearts opened. They've been able to see Christ and the gospel by um, the work of the Spirit. But our Lord's words don't end with this kind of uplifting, positive statement, right? <laughs> they don't end with just, I came to make those who do not see to see. He goes on and he says something further. He says this in verse 39. He says, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind which is very interesting. It's saying that Jesus came so that those who see might become blind. And if we're thinking only physically, it's not really going to make a lot of sense. Jesus came to like blind people, like blow sand in their face so they can't see. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritually that those who see may become blind. But, but even then, we're, what, is, what is going on here? Jesus is taking people that can spiritually see and he's making them spiritually blind. That's not what we mean. we got to dig a little bit deeper into what our Lord is saying. We see the twofold nature of Christ's coming. The twofold nature of Christ's coming. As we said last week, that great quote from Charles Spurgeon, the same sun that melts the ice is the same sun that hardens the clay. That Christ's coming brings comfort to those that know they are blind, who know their weakness, who know that they cannot see. It brings comfort to them. Because they have a hope, they have a solution, they have a remedy for their problems. But for those who do not see, it brings conviction and judgment. Why? Because they think they can see. They think they can see. In their blindness, they think that they can truly see. But they are as blind as ever. 
And so we must, we must be very careful to understand our Lord's words here. Jesus is not blinding people who can truly see. He is confronting those who think they can see. He's confronting those who think they can see. They think they are just fine, but in reality, they are totally blind. Totally and completely blind. And just to give a parallel passage, I think this is helpful because it it is kind of odd wording. Jesus is playing off this idea of physical blindness and physical sight. But if you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, this is a passage that we've brought up pretty frequently at Covenant. Um, Luke chapter 5, Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees come in and they don't understand why Jesus is eating with such wicked and outwardly egregiously sinful people. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says this, he answered them saying, those who are well have no need of a physician. Those people that are, are healthy, that are in, good, in he- good health, they don't need a doctor. The people that need a doctor, that need a physician, are those who are sick, who know they're sick and can seek out a remedy. And he, he clarifies what he says, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so we can see this kind of as a parallel passage to what we're reading in John chapter 9, that Jesus didn't come for those who are self-righteous, who have all the righteousness they need in and of themselves. He came to call sinners. And so if we can say it in this way, those who can see that he's talking about here at the end of verse 39 are those that don't need a doctor. Those who can see are those who don't need a doctor. They don't need help. They can see. They have true spiritual sight. They are self-sufficient. They have no need of Christ, of his kingdom, of his church, of his saving work. And this is what we call self-righteous. They are self-righteous. Those who can quote-unquote see are those who are self-sufficient. And I was, listening, I was reading one commentary. There's this great quote. The man said, the greatest hindrance to salvation are those that are self-sufficient. <laughs> those who have no need of anyone to help them, anyone to um, be their salvation. They are their own salvation. They are right in their own eyes. This is what self-righteousness is. And this is what the Pharisees of that day were. They were self-righteous. They were proud. They were hypocrites, right? They think they have it all together. What need do I have of a Savior? What sin do I have in my life that this man could possibly save me from? I, I mean, have you seen my righteousness? Have you seen what I did this week? I mean, I did all these things. Look at what I did. How could you say that I need any help from anyone outside of myself? This is the Pharisees of the day, but this is not all that different from many things that we see in our day. Moralism, legalism, pietism, all of these things that try to make ourselves self-righteous. What does moralism say? Moralism says, as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you'll be saved, right? As long as you have a little bit more at the end of the day, than ba- a little bit more good than bad, you'll be saved. That's what moralism says. Legalism is a little bit different. It says, as long as your obedience looks like mine, as long as it looks like the law that I've created that's not found in Scripture, as long as what you're doing looks like me, 
then you're being made right with God. This is what legalism says. Pietism is very similar. It makes it much more about our personal devotion, our piety, our individual experience. If your piety looks like mine, then you're a true Christian. You're a true righteous person. All of these are guilty of the same thing of what we call self-righteousness, being found righteous in our own eyes. And while this, this language isn't always said explicitly as I just said it, it's usually implied, right? We, you, you might hear things like this. While we know that the Bible doesn't command this thing, such and such, we think that it would be best if you did this. You know, if you did this, this would be best for your life. And we look down on people that don't do this or that thing. This is self-righteousness. It's all about appearing righteous rather than recognizing your need. It's condemning others while you lift up yourself. And this is what Jesus confronts in the Pharisees of that day. If you want to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 23, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. He says this to the Pharisees. He pronounces the seven woes on the religious leaders of that day, those people that had half of the Old Testament memorized. They did all the right things according to the law, but this is what Jesus says about them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're very pretty. They're, they're beautiful. Everything on the outside looks really good. And from maybe a human perspective, you wouldn't know that there was anything wrong. But he said inwardly, they're full of dead men's bones. They're full of pride. They've made themselves better than everyone else. They are whitewashed tombs. They are righteous externally only, Inwardly, they are dead. They are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That in their own eyes, they are clean. They are self-sufficient. They are able to quote-unquote see. They're in no need of Christ. They're in no need of the great physician because they are not sick. They're in no need of the cross. The cross is folly to them because in their sin, it's really not that bad. And they are in no need of Christ. He has no value to them because they are able to save themselves. This is self-righteousness. This is hypocrisy. This is self-sufficiency. And this is why Jesus says He came so that those who see, who think they can see, may become blind. What, do, what does our Lord mean by these words? I think a helpful way to say it is like this. Those who think they have no problem become blind to the solution. Those who think they have no problem become blind 
to the solution. It's kind of like finding out, going to the doctor and finding out you have, you have heart, you have a heart tumor, okay? You have cancer in your heart, you have a heart tumor, and there's only one physician that can come and treat that and operate on that tumor and remove it and take it out. But instead of going to that doctor, you walk out of the clinic or wherever you were and you say, well, I don't feel very sick, you know? I don't see a tumor, so there must not be anything wrong with me. I feel fine. I have no need of someone to come and remove this calamity from me. And the doctor then becomes of no value to you. It's not that the doctor is not valuable. He's of no value to you because you don't see the solution that he brings. You're blind to what the doctor is able to save you from. And this is what Jesus is doing in using this language of seeing and blindness, having your eyes opened and being come blind to your sin. It's to expose the self-righteousness of the Pharisees, that those who think they can see are actually the ones that are most blind. And this is actually what we see play out in the following two verses, in verses 40 and 41. And we turn now to the response of the Pharisees as they respond to the words of our Lord. In verse 40, the Pharisees say this, Are we also blind? Are we also blind? It's almost as if they're saying, Surely you don't think, or you don't mean to say that we are blind like this sinful man. You can't possibly be saying that we are blind like him. Because they know, they know what Jesus is saying here. They know that he is accusing them of being blind. And he's telling them, he's tell, the Pharisees are telling Jesus, there's no way that you're saying that about us. We are not blind like this man. And this reminds us of what many call the Pharisees' prayer. <laughs> the Pharisees' prayer in Luke 18. There's this parable that our Lord tells about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And this language that these Pharisees are using here is exactly like the language of the Pharisees in Luke 18. And this Pharisee comes before the temple and he says, God, I thank you. God, I thank you that I am not like this man. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this man, this wicked tax collector, like this adulterous, unjust, sinful man. God, I thank you that I am not as sinful as him. And then he goes on to talk about his righteousness. I fast twice a week. I tithe of all that I have. This is the Pharisees' prayer. This is their pride that is saying, I thank you, I'm not blind like this man. We can truly see. We are those that have true spiritual sight. We're not blind like this man. We can really truly see. And Jesus responds to this in very convicting words, he says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Jesus, it's, still, it's a very difficult to sort through. And so just to kind of rephrase it for us, this is another way to say what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you were truly spiritual blind, if you were truly spiritually blind, if you truly had a sense of your own blindness like this man once had, if you saw your need, there would truly be hope for you. There would be hope for you in your sins. But now that you say, we see, now that you're confident in yourself, your guilt remains. 
or another way to say it would be like this. If you would but acknowledge your utter blindness, your helpless state, there would be hope for you. There would be a cure. If you would recognize your need, there would be hope for you. There would be forgiveness of your sins. Your guilt would be removed. The power of sin would be broken. The light of the gospel would shine in your soul. But now that you say we see, you show how truly blind you are. You think you are the solution. And by saying that, you're proving how truly blind you are. And so to just kind of summarize what's going on here, we could say it like this. There is no cure for those who reject the only remedy. There's no cure for those who reject the only remedy. This is what the Pharisees have done. There's no cure for them. Not in the sense that Christ is not able to save sinners, but in the sense that they don't want the remedy. They don't want the cure. They think they can see. They think they have true spiritual sight, but it is actually them that are the most blind, and therefore they've rejected the only remedy that is possible to save them from their true blindness. And so as we turn to John chapter 10 next week, we'll see Jesus call as the great shepherd, the only way by which we can enter the gate, the true door of the sheepfold. Christ is that one, and we'll talk about that next week. But as we, as we walk away from John chapter 9, I think we need to see a couple things this morning. The first thing is this. We need to see the blindness that is very real in the darkness of our sin that this blindness is a real blindness. And this is exactly what we do in our sin. Just like the Pharisees are blind to their need, we too do the same thing in our sin. And we do one of two things. In our blindness, in our sin, we either run away from the light or we convince ourselves that we can see even though we are totally blind. What did Jesus say in John chapter 3, verse 19? He said, This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness rather than the light. It's not just that we run from the light, it's that we love the darkness. We love the blindness because it doesn't expose our sin. It doesn't expose where we are at. Truly, the darkness covers things. It hides things. And the light of Christ exposes those things. And in our darkness, we do not like this. Just like Adam and Eve, we try to hide from God. We think that we can hide from the all-seeing eye of God like they did in the garden. And yet, we see that that's futile. So we either run away from the light Or the second thing that we do is like the Pharisees in John 9, we convince ourselves that we can truly see even though we are totally blind. We pray the Pharisees' prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not as bad as this person. I thank you that my sin isn't as bad as this person's. I thank you that I am as righteous as I am. This is the Pharisees' prayer. And we see these three things in the Pharisees' prayer they're all the same as the, the Pharisees in John chapter 9. The three things that we see. We see self-sufficiency. We see pride. We see this 
contempt for other people. So the first one is pride. We see this pride play itself out in self-sufficiency, self-righteousness. I'm good. I'm great. I'm not as bad as this person. Therefore, look at me. This is the pride of the Pharisees. The second thing we see in the Pharisees' prayer is a failure to acknowledge our own sin. A failure to acknowledge our own sin. The Pharisees were quick to see the sin of other people. They were slow to see their own sin. They were quick to see the minutia sin of the other people, but they were slow, if not impossible, for them to see their own sin. This is the Pharisees' prayer. And the third thing we see is, so we've seen pride, we've seen a failure to acknowledge our own sin, and we see a reliance, thirdly, on our own works. That the Pharisees relied not on the work of Christ, but on their own works. And so, while it's easy to look at the Pharisees and say, man, those people were really messed up, we do the same thing. We do the same thing in our own hearts. We, we compare ourselves to other people. We make the law of God something that we can jump over, not this thing that is meant to convict us and humble us. We think we can attain this righteousness. And so this is the, the blindness of our sin. And yet, while this passage is very sobering, it is only in seeing this darkness that the light of Christ can shine in and show us our true need. It's only when we see how dark our situation really is that we can see the grace of our Lord in exposing our true condition, exposing the true state of our souls. That it is only by recognizing our great need, our total blindness, our utter darkness, that we can come to see that there's only one remedy. And so the call this morning for us is to hear the voice of the Savior, to hear the voice of Christ calling, that God is merciful, He is gracious, He is able to pardon our sin and forgive us. God has made a way in the gospel of Jesus Christ to pardon sinners, to bring them to everlasting life in Christ. If we would but turn, if we would but recognize our need that we are sinners, that we need this way of salvation, (laughs) if we would but see the bankrupt state of our souls, then we would see the riches of Christ and what He came to bring. If we would confess our sin, not hiding it, but bringing it to the light, we would experience the forgiveness that's only found in the gospel of Christ. If we would not try to cleanse and purify ourselves first, but run to Christ, the only one that is able to cleanse us, we would have our guilt taken away, truly, finally, forever. And so we see here that the call is to humble ourselves before a holy God, not praying the prayer of the Pharisees, but praying the prayer of the second man in Luke 18, the tax collector. The tax collector in Luke 18 is the exact opposite of the Pharisee. What does it say in Luke 18? That this tax collector, the, the tax collectors are those that would steal from other people. They would come and they would take more than they were commissioned to take. They were viewed as sin- swindlers, as sinful people that would steal and do every wrong thing. And the tax collector is the opposite of the Pharisee in Luke 18. Why? 
because it says that he couldn't even look up to heaven. He had his head bowed down because he felt the weight of his sin. He couldn't even go near the temple because he was feeling unable to approach the presence of a holy God. It says that he beat his chest and he could cry out only one thing. And the only thing that he could get out of his mouth was this, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We see the exact opposite of the Pharisees. Where the Pharisees were proud, the tax collector is humble. He's full of humility. He's not puffing his chest out. He's beating his chest, recognizing his great need. He's not denying his sin as the Pharisees did. He is admitting it and has full recognition of his sin. He says, I am a sinner. And thirdly, he's not relying on his own works as the Pharisees did. His reliance is only on the mercy of God. His his reliance is not on his works, not on his good deeds, but only and solely on the mercy of God. And so this morning, may we come to Christ, the only one that is able to cause us to see, to open the eyes of our hearts, by the power of the Spirit. As one theologian said, there is more grace in Christ than sin in us. (laughs) There is infinitely more grace in Christ than sin in us. And as Charles Spurgeon said, Christ came not to whiten tombs, but to open them. (laughs) Christ didn't come to whiten tombs. He didn't come to make the exterior look good. He came to open the tombs of dead and helpless sinners. And so this morning, if you're not trusting in Christ, if your hope is not in Christ, then the call this morning is to do the impossible. It's to see your blindness. It's to see your blindness. That if you think this morning that I've got it, I have everything figured out, I've got this on my own, I don't need anyone to help me, then you are more blind than you realize just like the Pharisees of that day. But the grace of our Lord is that He comes to expose the blindness. He comes to expose, expose the darkness of our, sh- of our souls and shine the light of the gospel on it. And John tells us in John chapter 20 why he wrote this gospel. It's so that you may believe. And so if you're hearing the words of my voice and you are trusting in yourselves, the call this morning is to stop. (laughs) It's to see your great need this morning and run to Christ. And as the great hymn says, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And then it goes on to say this, let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of Him. That's all you need to feel this morning. You're not going to be able to make yourself fit. You're not going to be able to make yourself holy. But what you do need to know is that He's able to save sinners. (laughs) And He can and He will. And that is the call this morning if you're not trusting in Christ. And your question might be in your head, but I am trusting in Christ this morning. I am looking to Him by faith. How do I, what do I get out of this passage? What we should receive this morning as believers, what we should see in this passage is the spiritual blindness that we were once enslaved to. (laughs) 
The, the blindness that we once had, Christ eradicated. He shone the light of the Christ on us by His grace and mercy, saving us from that place of blindness. And so we can praise Him, we can thank Him, we can glorify Him, because that was us. And He has brought us from death to life. We didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but Christ's Word was preached to us in our blindness, and somehow... <laughs> the light of the gospel shone in. The light shone in the darkness where before there was only darkness, the light of Christ has shone. By the power of the Spirit, God opened the eyes of our hearts. He caused us to see our blindness. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? He caused us to see our blindness, to run to Him and say, there's only one hope in this life and in the next and it's Christ and Him crucified. And so our hope this morning is to look to Christ, to trust in Him, to praise God for His grace in saving sinners like us, that He can remove our guilt, He can remove our shame, not by our working, but by His working alone. Let's pray this morning. Uh, Lord, we come before You. We'll come before You humbly, Lord. We come before You in great need that whether we are Um, in a great place this morning, maybe where we are truly sensing the weight of our sin, and maybe we are running to Christ, even in this moment, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the grace that you're giving us in, in being able to run to you, the fountain of living water. But maybe this morning we are weighed down. We are weary and heavy laden. We are feeling the weight of our sin and the judgment that we deserve, we're sensing the blindness that's even present in our souls, that we, that we lack true sight. And so we pray this morning that you would bring the light of the gospel, that Christ has done everything, that he is the face of God, the image of, image of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the gospel for sinners, that those who had sinned might be made right with God, might have peace with God through faith in Christ. So this morning we ask that you would work by your Spirit, that you would be present with us, and that your Spirit would move in our souls in an unseen way, and that you would illumine the hearts of your people, that you would effectually call them, giving them new hearts, awakening our eyes to see the glory of all that you have done for us in Christ. Help us to trust in your promises this morning, and be with us today. We pray in your Son's name. Amen.